Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Amen. Did, did Dave scare y'all? Make you afraid to hear what I got to say? Uh, I try not to make it too uncomfortable. But the reason I try to challenge you is because I don't like wasting your time. Is that fair? I think if we're going to spend some time here and hear the word of God, it ought to be because we're going to grow together and encourage each other to grow. Is that okay? In fact, it's my passion to see people grow and become whatever God has called them to be. So uh, I, I try not to do this just at church. I have trouble on my job for the same reason. Right, I, I bother people. <laughs> yeah, they are trying to be uncomfortable in their cubicles, and I go up to them and say, hey, listen, you ever thought about what you want to become? And they go, what, what are you saying? I said, listen, you have greatness in you. You should seek it out. And eventually, some of them get tired of me and tell me to go away. But some of them say, hey, cool. Thank you for telling me that that encouraged me to do something different, and here I am. How many of you know God wants you to grow? Okay, cool, yeah. You know, you could go to church all year long and stay in church every day and still miss out on the blessings of God. You know that, right? That you prosper when you take the Word of God and begin to apply it, and then you see fruit in your own life, right? And I said to you last time I was in front of you, if you're not going to read the Word of God, that's okay. God got people who have called to teach it and proclaim it. And it's okay if you don't read it, but at least let us tell you a little bit about it and try it out, okay? Is that fair? All right. Yeah, take a risk. Uh, Pastor Steve has been talking over the last couple of weeks about pursue, pursuing God, pursuit, okay? So I want to stay with that theme a little bit in a different way. So I appreciate your patience with my awkwardness and difference from Pastor Steve but my brain goes all over the place. So I want to talk with you all today. Is that okay? Yeah. Pastor Steve would normally have someone on stage that he's going to talk with. I ask uh, Ted to get uh, something together, get us started. But I really want to talk to all of you, okay? Yeah. It's not often you get to sit in church and talk back to the person who's preaching. It's a little scary when you're the person preaching. But I want to risk it a little bit. Can I do that? Yeah, sure. All right. So be gentle with me. I don't claim to know everything. As a matter of fact, I sit in the same seat you sit in. I'm learning and growing. But together, I hope we can discover what God is trying to say to us to help us to get to where he wants us to be. Is that fair? So what I'd like to do is there's a few scriptures I want to look at, and I encourage you to look at them with me, hopefully some of them on the screen, if not all of them, because, again, I tricked them again today and added something to it. But I want you to look at a few scriptures for me because I want to set the stage, the scriptural stage for what we're going to talk about today, all right? I want to center our thoughts on these two words, and uh, don't run off with these two words. Stay with me on them, okay? Victor or victim, okay? You got two ways to respond to life. You can respond as a victor, or you can respond as a victim, all right? And I want to talk about those today because my hopes is that you would take a practical application of what we're talking about today and examine your own life and self and see how you can begin to take control of it, all right? So I call it either you're driving your life, Victor, or you're Ubering, (laughs) victim. You know, if you're Ubering, you get mad because people are driving fast and scary and you don't like it, but all you can do is sit in the back seat and fuss about it. But if you're driving and you don't like it, you can slow it down if you want to. You can turn if you want to. You can get there as fast or slow as you want to when you're driving. But if you've been Ubered, you're at the mercy of someone else. Okay? Now, that don't mean Uber's a bad thing. In context, I'm saying drive your life. Don't let other people drive you. Is that okay? All right. So I want to look at a couple of scriptures. The first scripture I want to look at kind of sets the stage in a difficult kind of way in John chapter 8. So in St. John chapter 8, I want to look at this story. You've probably heard this story before, and I'm going to try to get all these scriptures out so we can just talk from there, okay? You ready? Okay, so John chapter 8 is a story about a woman who was caught in adultery. 
Uh, any of you ever heard that story? She was caught in adultery. And when they caught her, the Bible said Jesus was showing up at the temple and he was teaching. And the scribes and Pharisees brought this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now, it's always the question, why didn't they bring the men? Uh, they only brought the woman. And I don't know why. But the point the Bible wants to make has nothing to do with either one of them. Is that okay? So if you'll listen to it, if you don't have it, if you have it with me, please look, all right? If you can bring it up on the screen fast enough, that's great. If not, just listen to it. Can you see it? Okay. So this is verse number what? Four. Good. Very good. Would you read it with me? All together. Come on, read with me. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught on the act of adultery. Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Six. Seven. I know it's all. That's okay. Just take your time. We're working on coordinating together, see? It's hard to be unified if we don't practice, right? So let's just do it one more time on that verse where he says, all right, let's start there. You ready? He says, let me make sure you got it. Then he stooped down. Let's go right here. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. All right. Now we're going to go to Psalms uh, 119. And we're going to leave just a couple of verses out there and I'll draw all the points of it and make it. I know it seems like, where is he going? That's okay. I'll get there, I promise you, okay? In Psalms 119, I want to look at a couple of verses. The first one I want to look at in Psalms 119 is verse 105, okay? So in Psalms 119, one of the most powerful things that you'll notice in the book of Psalms 119 is most of it is about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God. How many of you would really love to know what God wants for you in your life? And one of the challenges for me is when I talk to Christians, they say things to me like, I want to make sure that I'm doing what God wants me to do. So what they're doing is they're not acting yet. They're thinking and trying to figure out what God wants them to do before they take action. That sounds noble enough, right? Okay. I want to submit to you today the idea that it's a problem. Okay. It's a problem if you're sitting thinking I want to do what God wants me to do, so what I'm doing is I'm thinking about what he wants me to do, and I'm praying about what he wants me to do so I can make sure I'm doing the right thing and I don't get off on the wrong foot. And then you sit there and you never get an answer. And you say, well, I'm just waiting on God to tell me which one is the right one to do. Okay? Psalms number 105 and 119 says, together with me, your word is a lamp to my and a light Got that? Now, I want to read myself verse 130, and I just want you to listen to it, okay? This is verse 133 and through 135. Order my steps in your word, and let not my iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of men, so will I keep your precepts. Make your face to shine on your servant, and teach me your statutes. In another place it says, entrance of thy word brings light. Got it? Now, this woman who was caught in adultery, it's funny to me, Jesus did not say to her once everyone had left, hey, listen, I do want to talk to you about that adultery thing. It seemed to me he would have taken the occasion to really correct her because he had her on the spot. He had her dead to right. She was not denying she was guilty. 
And when everyone left, although they were guilty too and couldn't condemn her, it seems to me Jesus would have said, hey, listen, you do need to quit that adultery stuff because it's killing you. But he didn't. He said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. He said, then neither do I condemn you. But he does say something rather peculiar. Go and sin no more. That's kind of peculiar. Go and sin no more. What does that mean? Go and sin no more? What am I supposed to do with that? I want to suggest to you, first of all, as a Christian, I owe you an apology on the behalf of the church if we've ever made you feel condemned because of your sins. If someone in church said something, did something that made you feel less than, condemned, rejected, judged, I'm sorry. That's not the message of the church. That's not what the church is supposed to do. If you feel that way because someone in church or somebody in church has done that to you, please try to take today to let that go. When Jesus responds to this woman, his first words to her was, then I don't condemn you either. Do you know condemnation upon a person actually stops their progress? It cuts off their willingness and a will to pursue God. You understand that? And Jesus says to them, to the woman, go and sin no more. I'll talk a little bit later about what I think that means, okay? But it's really important that if you and I are going to go forward from here, you have to understand you and I are not supposed to make unbelievers or people who are struggling in sin feel condemned. That's not the goal of the gospel. It's not the work of the church. Right after that, Jesus said in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that believeth in me shall not walk in darkness. What he was saying to the woman is, because you're in this situation and you find yourself facing me, there's a great opportunity for you. I don't want you to miss the opportunity that your sins have brought upon you. They brought you here to condemn you. But the opportunity for you is allow the light of Jesus Christ to show you a better way. It wasn't to condemn. It was to say, take note. God's desire is not for you to live in that kind of bondage. And there are reasons for our sins. I don't know all of them, but I want to suggest a couple of them shortly, okay? So, real quickly, just to kind of start the conversation with you, Pastor Steve started talking about pursuit, pursuing God. And the question I had was, hey, is that what we're supposed to do? Pastor Steve's telling you to pursue God. Is that what we're supposed to do? Or are we supposed to work on making sure we maintain the life we have at the best we can? So I want to hear from you. Here we come. I want to hear your thoughts on it. So I'm going to get a microphone, and I'm going to ask one of Ursha's to come and help me. Come on, help me. And what I want to do is hear from you. I want to hear from you whether or not, this is the question, are we supposed to pursue God or pursue something? Or are we supposed to make sure that we take care of the life we got and just maintain it? Share your thoughts. Who's bold enough? I'm not afraid to call you, though. Thank you, Al. And this is just so we can all think together. Is that okay? This is not for condemnation. I'm not trying to make you look bad. We're learning together, okay? Al, what do you think? Are we supposed to pursue or are we supposed to work on maintaining things the way we have them best we can? Well, uh, first, God pursued us. Okay. And he has given us all manner of blessing in Christ. Okay. But those things are not complete with, without our participation. Okay. Just, just like he could not have completed our salvation if we didn't have faith towards him. He can't complete what he's called us to do and what he's called us to be if we don't have faith, and which means participation with him. So you're saying we are supposed to pursue? We are supposed okay. to pursue him. I think it's clear throughout the word okay. that we are called, Jesus said, be perfect, okay. even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So I see it in the word. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. And I also see it, excuse me for That's okay. going on, but I also see it in my own life. If I don't pursue God, mm -hmm. he kind of waits on me. 
and asks me from time to time, so what okay. are you going to do? All right. Thank you, Al. Would y'all give Al a hand, please? Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to encourage your participation, okay? You don't have to be long as Al. You don't have to be short. You can just say whatever you want to say, okay? And because I know I only have about 25 minutes, consider that as you talk, okay? All right. Go ahead, Caleb. You got something? The question is, are we supposed to pursue? Or are we supposed to maintain and make sure we take care of what we got? I think that God has already made us with everything that we need, and I think that the opportunities are already there. Okay. I think that we we have God designed us to have everything that we need. So, okay. I think it's uh, sort of a pursuit in. I guess it's maybe like a pursuit in maintenance. I guess is the best way you could say it. That like would be pretty important. Maybe maybe that's what we need to pursue. Since what I believe is that. No, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over again, but I guess okay. what I'm trying to say is just pursuing to just continue maintaining what you have already been given. Okay. Thank you, Caleb. Would you give it up for Caleb? Yes. All right. Mark? Uh, well, the Bible says that uh, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes to give us life and that more abundantly. Okay. And... I'm reminded of a story that a man went to hell. Mm -hmm. I saw this on television. And down there, he couldn't get a breath. Mm -hmm. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. So you don't have life if you don't have him. And since he's not in hell, you can't get a breath. So we need to pursue God because it says he alone has the words of life. Okay. Thank you, Mark. There you go. Thank you. Well, the way I look at it is, yeah, we're supposed to pursue because God's not a magician. He blesses us, but he doesn't like, he expects us to step out. He expects us to do our job basically okay. we work for a living you're not going to just have everything paid for provided etc etc just mm -hmm. because you get saved you still have to walk the walk in order to get those blessings i mean there's some expectation on mm -hmm. our part i mean god still gives us salvation freely yeah but okay. there's things in our lives that if we don't step out, we'll never see the fruit. Okay. Appreciate it. Come on. Give it up for her. Come on. Right here. Right here first, and then I'll come to pastor. I appreciate you guys thinking now right here. I'm reminded of the story of the master who gave his servants money. Yeah. To go make something of this, and the one who buried his. Yeah. Well, we know the result of that story. Right. We need to go take what we're given and make more from it. So you're saying pursue. Pursue. All right, amen. Pastor, now don't forget, Pastor, you can't close twice. <laughs> I get to pick on it. I think in line with the subject pursuit, mm -hmm. I would say that pursuit means action, and all of us who are sitting here now we're not this size physically when we came into this life. Mm -hmm. We all have the ability to grow. Yeah. Yes. But in order to grow, we had to eat, eat the right kind of stuff. Right. And we're not maintaining, but we're growing. And we ultimately come to adulthood. And spiritually speaking, that's God's plan for us okay. to grow and pursue grow. him and come to the maturity that he's designed. Okay, thank you. Let me change, give Pastor a hand, if you don't mind. Okay, appreciate it. We learn in how to value each other. That's what clapping does. It helps that person feel like, hey, you valued my opinion. All right, so now I want to change the question a little bit. What should we pursue? What is it that we should pursue as Christians? Because I hear the pursuit, and I heard a lot of good church answers. Pursue God, pursue Christ. But what does that mean? What are we supposed to pursue? In my opinion, what we should pursue is knowledge. Okay. Because the only way to be a teacher is to learn so that you can teach. 
Very good, very good. Give her a hand. Now don't forget how you clap is how people are gonna clap for you, okay? Someone else, come on. Right over here. So one thing real quick on the pursuit thing, I think that there's a healthy balance of maintaining what God's already given you as well as pursuing new things. Because if you don't maintain ones you already have, you're gonna lose that as well. So that, that's my two cents. And then I also think as far as what it means to pursue, I think it's very healthy to be pursuing, obviously pursuing God, but in doing so, pursuing others as well and helping them right. find God in their life. That's very good. Very good. Give my, give my, don't forget the way you clap for somebody else, the way they're going to clap for you. I mean, give it up or not, it's coming. Go ahead. I'm going to answer your question with a question. Okay. If there is not pursuit, right. then what is the place for hope? Because what is hope? Ooh. If you have arrived, what's hope for? Mm. And where in the Bible does it say stop hoping? Okay. So that's like deep. Hope is pursuit. That wasn't for me to answer, though, was it? No. It's... That was deep. That was like, oh. I think I know the answer. That was like total, oh, yeah. Yeah, see, I noticed every God, every God word is a forward word. You know, diligence is a hope focus, a forward word. Hope is a focus. So I get your point. Yeah. Go ahead, Heather. Um, oh, yes, one... please. Oh, yeah. All right. One thing I was going to say about pursuit is to go along with the car analogy yeah. um, that you could say if you're in a car, whether you're the victor or the victim, but pursuit is movement. So you should be moving that car should and not moving. keep it parked. Um, that's just a practical okay. picture you could have in your head. And then I feel like one thing you can do if you're at the place where you're thinking, how do I pursue God? Yeah. What does that mean? What does that yeah. look like? Because I don't know. I, I've never done this before. Right. You can start with just the fruit of the spirit, maybe pursuing love, yeah. joy, peace, yeah. patience, kindness, self-control. All those things could just be practical things that that's what you're pursuing. And it and it's not because we are trying to work for it. Yeah. It's not by our actions or our works at all. Like what was already mentioned, we're given salvation for free. So we're not trying to attain anything there or, or get somewhere or get something by it. But it is those benefits and blessings. Those are rewards and byproducts because of our diligence in pursuing him and the relationship with him. Okay. Very good. Give it up for Heather. Come right over here. I asked Ted this question earlier, so I want Ted to answer this question for me. And then I want you to think about how would you answer it? You are pursuing God, right? I'm just making that assumption. You're pursuing God. So if you're pursuing God now, what is keeping you, what is making it difficult for you to just obey what you believe God is asking you to do? What's keeping you? What's making it difficult for you to follow through and obey God in the thing that you feel like he's asking you to do? So what I did is I asked Ted to be ready for this question. I want him to give me an answer right here, if he will. He's been in ministry for quite a while. He could never tell his whole story in two minutes. But I asked him to talk about a little bit about something that was in his way, something that made it difficult for him to trust God when God called him into ministry. Well, uh, Rini and I went into the mission field uh, in Mexico, and um, we were there about two and a half, three years. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had been serving in this little church up on the mountains in, in, that overlooked Ensenada. And uh, we spent our first three years up there. Mm -hmm. And um, then there was a couple of ladies came out of a little community south of Ensenada, about 12, 15 miles. And uh, they came and asked me if I couldn't do a Bible study. And I'm going, you know, they want me to come out there and do a Bible study in a language that I don't understand. Yeah. And... And, and come to find out that they were all Indians and yeah. that, they, that I would have to go from, the translation would have to go from me to somebody in Spanish and then from somebody in Spanish to the Indians and then back to the Indians, yeah. back to the Spanish, back to the English for me. And it was, it was just, I, I'm going, ooh, Lord, there isn't yeah. somebody that can get in the middle of this <laughs> that, that, that doesn't have this problem. And he didn't provide anybody else. So eventually yeah. I said, oh, okay. So I thought I was headed out there to do a Bible study, right? Yes. Well, we ended up moving out there, Rini and I did, 
and we moved into a house that had a big patio. And uh, on the back of that patio, we, we wrapped black plastic around it eventually. And we started holding church services there. And uh, we had 135 Indians coming to church there at one wow. time. And um, it was just a major blessing. And I, if you'd have told me when I started that I, uh, we were going to end up like that, I would have said, no, 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 wait yeah. a minute now. Yeah. I, you know, this can't happen. Like, there's two yeah. languages there that I got across. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Sister Carol knows she came down there, ran into that man, where they, she led a little grandma up yeah. to, to, to salvation down there yeah. in a little home church that we had that was one of the fellowships that sprung out of our church there. Uh, and uh, so I mean, how many languages did you have to go through? They had to go get the granddaughter and bring her so that she could interpret, so that the interpreter could interpret, so that you would understand. And then you led this woman in prayer to salvation through three yeah, languages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was, thank you, it was It was a fun time. And we're looking at it and going, well, how does this work, Lord? Yes. No, no, no. Yes. There's got to be somebody yes. that can make this work. Yes. Well, yes. I, uh, one of the biggest blessings I yes. think that I, that I had down there when I, and it was brought to my attention today because I just, I, never, I haven't thought about that church in a long time. Yes. That I, I only pastored it for three years. Yes. And it was the only time I ever pastored. Yes. I never called me to do it again. Yes. Didn't ask me to do it again. Yes. And um, probably won't at this point in my life. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> Never know. Never I'm know. more than willing if he does. Yeah. But um, we took about, about 70 of them out and baptized them in the ocean. Amen. And we had 130 of them accepted Christ in the church. Amen. And you know, I, what, we, what I mentioned to Carol when we were, we were talking about it this morning, I says, I says who in the world knows where all those people are today and what they're doing. Yeah, I know that three other churches sprung up yeah. out of that little church. Now, Ted, in, that all started. In Manny Darrow down there, yeah. So, that all started because you were, with you being afraid and yeah, unprepared. I, yeah, I, was, I didn't want to do that. And no. not sure. No, no. Wait, but wait. God still got a big miracle out of it. Yeah. Would y'all yeah. give it up for Ted? Yeah. yeah. Now, I want you to think about this. That, that lady who was caught in adultery, she was in a situation or uh, circumstance that was embarrassing and shameful. How do you know when you're acting out of a victim mentality? That's the question on the screen. So would you put that first slide up for me? How do you know? How do you know when you're acting out of victim mentality and not a victor mentality? I found that... A lot of times I could be acting in a victor mentality in some situations and still act in a victim mentality in others. I find that there are a lot of times when I'm acting in a victim mentality that I don't even recognize that's what I'm doing and that's how I'm behaving and acting, but I'm looking for God to do something and he can't do it if I'm acting in a victim mentality. Does that make any sense to you? How do you know if you're acting in a victim mentality? Well, have you ever made a bad mistake and you were afraid for people to know about it? Have you ever made a choice in your life that you were really ashamed of and you wish you had never done it? Have you ever grown up in a situation that you were ashamed of financially, your family, your situation, your circumstances, and you were ashamed to let people know that was your situation? Have you ever been rejected or hurt by someone pretty important to you and maybe they didn't even know what they did, but they rejected you? Have you ever been dealing with a handicap or a weakness or some disability and you felt like you were the odd person out? Have you ever been left or abandoned? Have you ever been let down in a major way? That woman was committing adultery because that was the way of life she knew. What Jesus was telling her, however you got here, whatever happened to you to cause these kind of habits to be the kind of habits you live out of, that thing doesn't have to have power over you anymore. You see, when you've been hurt, you and I develop coping skills, mechanisms to just kind of help us to get through the pain. 
ideals and habits that help us to tolerate and deal with our situations that we don't feel like we can change. Maybe you're dealing with someone, a loved one, who was never there for you, but they are now. But you're so angry, the only thing you can ever say to them is you were never there for me. You can't even see that they are now. Maybe you've been in a situation so long and so hurtful that you think that's the way it is for you. And you think that's the situation God has dealt you. These are the cards you've been dealing so you're trying to deal with it. You're trying to make the best out of that situation. If that's you, you might be living like a victim rather than a victor. If you're afraid, and this is personal for me because I really think I'm shy. I really do. I have all the feelings that go with shyness. I have all the thoughts that go with shyness. I have every sweat and tear that comes up when it's my turn that you would have. But it wasn't until I heard the gospel that I began to think, maybe I don't have to be shy. Maybe there's an alternative for me. Life made me shy. I grew up poor. When you grow up poor, kids talk about you. They talked about the shoes you wear and the clothes you wear. And that could put you into a victim kind of mentality thinking. Because you're dealing with what you had to deal with that you felt like you have no control over. How do I know that in the Bible? How many of you remember the story of the man laying by the pool for 38 years? Jesus comes to the man. The man knew how church worked. You're supposed to get in the pool when your turn comes and God would heal you. But I hold there are some of us sitting here today who feel like, God, when will it be my turn? I've been coming to church for years, and I can't get in the pool. And most of us say like the man said, my problem is I don't have anyone to help me. When you look around your life and you look for situations where you really needed somebody, you're feeling like you have nobody to help me, you might be in a victim mentality. He was right. He said, every time I try to go down, everyone else gets ahead of me. And for 38 years, I've been missing my turn. I participate. I try. But somewhere down the 38 years, he began to believe it would never be his turn. I'm just here like everybody else, but I don't expect a turn. God blesses everybody else except me. And he hung around on the porch with people who felt like he felt, thought like he thought, and believed like he believed. When Jesus finally heals him, he gets up from the pool, he walks. And Jesus meets him again, and he says a similar thing he said to that woman who was caught in adultery. He said to him, hey, listen, stop sinning unless a worse thing come upon you. Now, scholars worry or wonder at what that means, and no one has been definitive about it. But here's a thought. Maybe the act of sin is not your biggest problem. Maybe it's the thinking and the behaviors that drive it. Maybe it's the sinful view of yourself you have. The man was carrying his bed because he saw some Pharisees and scribes, church people, who told him you're not supposed to do that. And he then started to feel bad about that. Then he runs into Jesus. And I think if I could translate it, Jesus would say, hey, listen. You're not judged by whether or not you carry a bed. You're judged by whether or not you believe me. Don't go back to pleasing people when I'm the one who told you to get up and walk. If you're saved, you and I are challenged with the same kind of thinking. You can believe God or you can believe how people treat you. You can believe God or you can believe your life conditions. You can believe God. Or you can believe how you feel every day when you're in a certain situation. You can believe God or you can believe the shoutings of your past that prove stuff to you over and over again that you'll never do it, you'll never make it, you'll never be it. But either way you go, you have to choose. Either you're going to have a victor mentality or a victim mentality. I want to put up on the screen a few things that represent a victim mentality. I didn't write these. I mean, because you can find this in social science, right? Hey, newsflash. God is not separate from science. Science takes itself from God. 
the word of God. Remember I said the entrance of your word brings light. Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says, I think it's around the 23rd verse, it says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing even bone from marrow and thought from intense. In other words, when you get saved, what God is really wanting to do is show you what's really holding you back. It's exposed to you the thinking, the habits, the behaviors that are really holding you down. The real pursuit of the Christian life is the pursuit of your best self. Whoa, that sounds a little humanistic, Tony. Put those thoughts on the screen for me. Now, I won't go through all of these, but I want you to be able to see some of them, okay? These are some signs of a victim mentality, and we don't go through all of them. But a person who finds reasons and excuses for things that won't work before it even gets started. All they tell you is that won't work. No, that is not going to work. Well, I don't know why they want to do that. It's not going to work anyway. A person who thinks like that is afraid of the risk that comes with the attempts of doing something different. So what they try to do is they try to keep everything the same so they can find some level of comfort in that. And I challenge you today, that's not God's way. That second one says, they lack self-belief or confidence, which leads them to not really following through. Why do you think so many New Year resolutions are dropped? Because they don't think they can do it anyway. So they don't follow through. Then they put things off and find excuses, avoiding accountability. And those are the same people who complain because life has not gotten any better. Hmm. Hmm. They are the people who say things like, I am the way I am, and I can't help it. This is just who I am. You have to accept me. What my hope is, listen, it's not Christian alone to just pursue jobs and cars and houses. He said that's what the heathens do. But if you remember Paul, when he was talking in Corinthians to the church, he says, listen, what I do, 1 Corinthians, I lay aside those things that were behind me. I forget them. And I press towards the mark of the higher calling, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying that I've apprehended. I'm telling you I'm pursuing it, he says. In Timothy, he told Timothy this. Run the race, but run like someone who wants to win. Don't just run to say I ran. What's the race? The race is not against other people. It's against you becoming your best self. Is you pursuing everything God wants to do through your life because you become the best you you can become. And today, that's more available to you and I than anywhere else in any other time. You can go to class in five minutes online. It's funny to me how many people say in relationships, communication is the, good key, is the key to good relationships. But they won't take a communication class and learn to do it better. But they still praying, God, bless my relationship so we don't fight and we don't kill each other. And really, all they have to do is go learn to talk better, to listen more, or to make sure that they understand the other person's position before they lay theirs out there. But they won't take a class. Oh, God, please help me. Yeah, but God is saying, listen, I need you to drive this. I need you to be the one who will engage better learning. That's godliness. That's godliness. Listen, go to the next slide for me. So, you become keenly aware when you have a victim mentality of escape routes, ways to get out of stuff, ways to avoid stuff. I know sometimes taking a survey is hard, but if you put your opinion out there and say you want it, somebody better ask you to come. <laughs> so you just don't participate at all. That way you're not a part of it. Nobody expects anything from you. We get good at escape routes and avoiding stuff, coasting through life rather than taking control. Someone asks you what you're working on. Most of us have very little to say. I don't know, or just trying to be happy or whatever it may be. I would encourage you, find something in your own personal development to work on. 
and grow in grace, grow in favor with God, grow in the ability with God. There are times when we are slow and reluctant to make decisions because we're afraid of making the wrong choice. How many of you have heard people before saying, well, I know what I want to do, but I'm waiting on God to give me the answer? You've heard that before? Well, so God told Abraham to go, but he didn't tell him where. Like many of us, if Abraham had to sit down and say, well, I'm not going till you tell me where, we wouldn't be saved today. God can't direct a person if that person is not already in motion, going somewhere. You're supposed to make your best decision and go. God then has the ability to turn it and direct you and get you where he wants you to go. And if you believe him for that, you don't sit still saying, tell me what to do. You start doing and let him correct you. Is that new to you? Come on, Tony, this is hard. I know, but it's good. I want to go to 2 Corinthians because I want to read something with you that I think is important. I'm skipping some of these. Would you just work through those slides for me so people can at least see them? And I'm skipping some of these and talking about them, but I want you to see some of them. Romans chapter 7, verse 23 says, I see war being waged in my members, that the law of God in my mind is fighting against the law in my members. The things that I want to do for God take residence in my mind. But the things that keep me from doing what God wants me to do take residence in my members, and they fight each other. Let me give you some practical terms on what this could mean. What I'm thinking about doing and what I have a habit to do are always making me fight. Habits are large in our members of our body parts. You can have a habit of doing and a habit of thinking and a habit of reacting to things. And even though you want to do God's will, you can't do it because the habit is stronger than your desire. Why? Because it's been there for years. It's baked in, if you will. So when trouble comes or situations get tough, you automatically revert to what you're comfortable with, the habit. So Paul is saying that war is a real war. That if you allow that to happen, it will bring you into subjection every time. It brings you into slavery to it. You cannot whoop that thing by yourself. You have to have a plan that's able to rewrite those bad habits and old habits that make us act the way we do and respond the way we respond because we are used to being the last one on the totem pole. Because we're used to being the one who fails or the one who gets rejected. Because we're used to being the one who comes in last place. Because we're used to no one being there for us. It creates habits in you. You can automatically think. When you walk into a situation, I know this already. I already can tell you what's going to go here. Well, that'll make you right. That's not necessarily the truth. What you and I have to do is learn to put down old habits and believe the word of God. God has your future in sight. God is working for your future. God wants you to prosper and be in success, even with your soul, right? God wants you to pursue greatness and achieve it. God wants you to run forward and grow and become and overcome. So much so that he put a whole chapter in Romans chapter 8. The whole chapter is designed to give you courage. That's what the whole chapter is about. Get courage. With God, we are more than conquerors. Be courageous. Why? Why do you need courage? You don't need courage for an enemy that's about to attack you. You need courage to stand on what you believe God said when you don't have any evidence. And when the only thoughts you have also attack your doing. Your own brain can sabotage what God says do. You can talk yourself out of a great thing. And then later on, wish you had of. Anybody beside me ever done that? I've probably done it about 16 times I can remember. Sin, guys, is not just what happens to you or what you do. But sin is also the habits that you were left with as a result of that thing. Sin is the kind of thinking you adopted. 
Sin is the coping mechanism, the medicine you take to avoid the trouble or the discomfort or the difficulty. Some people, for example, when they're lonely, they have a hard time, so they have to do things to deal with the loneliness. It ain't the thing you need to whoop. It's the thoughts that drive the thing. Second Corinthians, if you will, and I'll get ready to end with this one. This one, I'm from Arkansas, this one. Second Corinthians, and if you have the word with you, I want you to look at the Bible with me. So if you can pull it up on whatever you got, I want you to look at it because it's really important for what we're going to close out with here today. Chapter 4. Everybody got it? Okay. Let's read what it says right here, chapter 4. And we're going to read 4 through 6 is what we're going to read. And then I'll make a little bit of it and we'll, get, we'll be done. Verse 4 together. Will you ready? Read. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Pause right there for a second and just think about that. If you don't believe a thing, you can't see it anyway. And then he blinds you. You can't trust your own five senses as great judges of things because your five senses can easily be manipulated and deceived. Satan uses the fact that you don't believe to further gray out the truth. Okay? He blinded those who don't believe. They are the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Let me pause here on this one. This is where the mistake comes in sometimes. When I'm preaching, I'm not at all trying to say to you, you have to be like Tony. Because Tony don't have the corner on the gospel. He only got a little piece, and that's not very good. Whoever preaches, they're not supposed to tell you to be like them. Everyone's situation is unique, and they are unique. You can't copy people and get to where you're supposed to be. So we don't preach ourselves. I don't care how I had to go through whatever I went through and did what I did. You can't duplicate me. You are you. Other people can't copy you. You don't preach you. You preach Jesus. Does that make any sense? No one can follow what you did and what you went through and get to where you are. But the word of God is a lamp to their feet and a light. And if they follow that, they will get exactly where they're supposed to be. That's why the Bible says entrance of your word brings light. People can see themselves better and they can see where they need to go better and where they need to clean up a little better when they read the word and they hear the word. Other human beings don't represent enough perfection for you to have to follow. Oops. They may be okay in one area and that's okay. They may set a good example in some things, and that's okay. But they can't get you to God's perfection. Does that make any sense? We don't preach. We preach Jesus. Go to the next verse, 6. For God, who said, Where is the light shining? What did he make the light shine? In the hearts. In your hearts. Why would he put a light in your and my heart? So we can see ourselves. So we can see ourselves. I could be too busy looking at other people. That's a victim mentality. When I have a victim mentality, I need to be looking at me and how I can get better and what I can do to impact the circumstance and what I can do to make sure it works out the way it's supposed to. As much as it depends on me, how I can bring peace. We are most often looking at other people. The light don't shine in my heart so I can find out who else is wrong. (laughs) The light shines in my heart so I can check my motives. So I can check my intentions. So I can check my thought patterns. So I can change my behaviors. So I can become more like him. Come on, somebody. He caused the light to shine in darkness. 
When you have a victim mentality, you're walking in the darkness of your own heart, your own thinking. That's why you blame other people in other circumstances and situations because you're in darkness. You can't see how you could make a difference in that. The power of Jesus Christ is to raise up a dead man and bring him to life. So he has authority in his own life. So he can walk in victory and overcome in his own life. So I don't have to wait on someone to do it for me. I don't have to wait on someone to make it right for me. I don't have to wait on someone else to ask me or apologize or tell me they forgive me. I have the power. It says that verse number 7 and 8, and it talks about the far surpassing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a power that God gives us that goes beyond the limitations of our present circumstances. And it frees us to do what we never thought we could do. It frees us to become what we never thought we could become. It frees us from ever again being a victim. It frees us to pursue. Would you stand with me? This is where Tony get kind of challenging. Shake it off, get the nerves off. I tried to take my time today so you don't get caught up in my antics. Because I want the words to be clear. First of all, if you're here and you've been rejected and hurt by other people, that is not an indication of how God feels about you. If you're suffering and struggling, whatever you're struggling with, doesn't matter what you're struggling with, that is not God's decision to leave you there and make sure you stay there and suffer. If you were abandoned, left, at some point in your life, you probably have some habits that's keeping you from getting closer to other people. If you're struggling financially, it's not because of lack of money. It's because of thinking. These are tough things to think about because they're all on me. But Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came said that the world through me might be saved. He shows us so he can help us. He shows us so he can deliver us. Therefore, he says things like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The fear is of judgment, of condemnation, of getting it wrong, of being the only one to make a mistake, of being the oddball out. But you're not the odd one out. Because I go through that every day. Every day. I have to face my fears. And I have to learn to talk to myself differently than what I'm used to hearing other people talk to me. I have to believe things that I've never seen before. That I'm not used to. You mean, God, you don't have to look this way to be... You mean, God, you can use somebody like me? You mean, God, you don't have to... I have to go through that too. And I guarantee you, if I could get an honest group of people, everyone in this room has to go through that. At some level, in some way. And here's the kicker. It don't matter how old you are. You're not finished. There's more to learn. More to grow, more to do. And it's us who have to make a decision. What am I going to do with these next few minutes of my life, God? But you can't believe stereotypical thinking. You're too old. It's past your time. I apologize to those who are older that young folks think like that. That's not true. You're too young. You don't know enough. I apologize for older people thinking like that. That's not true. But the Bible says in the last days he'd pour out his spirit. On all flesh. Young men and young ladies would dream dreams. Old men would prophesy. In other words, God's trying to say, I got something for everybody in the church to do to bring about my glory. This scripture in Corinthians said lastly that we take up this ministry. This ministry is the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings light so other folk can come out of darkness 
And he asks you and I to be the light. Be the example of someone who's willing to face your fears and come out of your comfort zones and let God grow you. Be the example of what he can do, even if you didn't have the resources or the background, how he still can bring you to where you need to be. You are the light. And wherever you are, there's somebody lost in condemnation because of how someone else has treated them. If you let them know how you come through it and how you come out of it, and if you let them know how people were patient with you and you agree to be patient with them, you'll do the work of the gospel. You don't even have to know what to say. Just be willing to be that light. Does that make sense? I want to pray today that God would break some chains. Is that okay? Chains. I mean thoughts that hold you back. Habits that hold you back. I got them. They're limiting habits. They're limiting thinking. They're things that hold you down and make you afraid. They're risks you won't take. I want to pray that God breaks some chains today. I'm not praying because all mine are broken. I just need a few folk who will get with me because so mine could be broke too. Is that all right? We're not preaching Tony. We're preaching Jesus. So wherever you are, if that's you, just raise your hand. We're going to pray. God, I got some chains I want broken off my thinking, off my behaviors, off my habits. You don't have to tell nobody what they are. This is just between you and him that you're going to take a note. The reason I ask you to raise your hand is not for anything but you to say out loud to the devil, I defy you. You're not going to keep me secretly bound up in a chain. It's not a secret that I got one I want to break. That's all the reason I'm asking you to do that. And we're going to pray together. Now, what that means is you have to say your prayer too. Mine connects to yours. Yours connects to mine. And together, ours connect and goes up to heaven. The Bible says has a sweet-smelling aroma. Is that all right? Yeah. So when we pray, I just want you to pray out loud too. So they're going to sing this song a little bit to get us in the mood, get us in the right place, and then we're going to pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We acknowledge you as the light of our life, the Savior of the world. Thank you, Father, for your love that reaches beyond our limitations and saves us out of darkness and brings us into your marvelous light. Thank you, Father, that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in you should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, I thank you that we are recipients of that life here today. And God, we thank you that it's not by works, lest we should boast, but by grace through faith. God, I praise you for what you're doing and what you've done. And Lord, thank you for bringing us into your kingdom, giving us a share in the inheritance that's eternally reserved for us in the heavens. Thank you, Father, that we are more than conquerors even in this life. For you called us, God, to be imitators of you. You told us, God, that because we have heard, therefore we speak and we believe. And God, today I'm speaking and believing in the power of the gospel to break every chain, God, that holds us back from achieving the, the goal and the purpose you have for us in our life, God. I speak against shame, God. I speak against neglect, God. I speak against hurt and confusion and unforgiveness, God. And Lord, I praise you that those things cannot exist in the light of your word, God. Thank you, Father, for you are relieving and have relieved us of every yoke and burden the enemy has tried to place upon us. And God, we now declare that the gospel is true. Your word is true, God. That your word will never return to you void, God. That it will accomplish what you send it to do, God. And we stand on your word, God. You told us that if we believe your word and perform it, we will be like a man who is wise and build his house upon the rock, God. Storms will come, Father. Rains will fall. But our confidence, God, is in your word, Lord. 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will endure forever, God. Show us ourselves, God. Show us our weaknesses, God. Show us where we can step up and claim authority, God. Show us where we can step out in faith, God. Help us, God, to trust you. Break down the little borders that we built around our lives. Take down the barriers that we've erected to protect us. Remove, God, from us the devices that keep us safe and from taking healthy risk with you. God, you're worth more. Your word says the inconveniences of this life trying to get to where you want us to be are not worthy to be compared to what shall be revealed in us. Teach us how to inconvenience ourselves, God. Help us to see the value beyond the work we put in, beyond the discomfort it takes, beyond the things that are uncomfortable that we have to begin to do. For God, your plans for us are great, and they go beyond our imagination. I pray for every person here, Father, that they would see the wonderful and magnificent work that you are doing in their lives as you remove barrier after barrier after barrier. Now, Father, we commit to taking little steps. You don't ask us to move mountains. Just believe. Even if it's one rock at a time, God, you'll move the mountain. Thank you, God, that all things are made new. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 